to my beloved child, firstly, I love you. I love you more than you can understand. I did make you after all. You are not just a cosmic mistake that curiously appeared out of the senseless nothing. You are purposed. Now before I go on, please know that you do not have to reply to this. You can ignore it. It is your choice. This isn't an eviction notice or a court order. You do not have to respond. Love by definition is freely given after all. So here it is. I have some good news for you. It is the greatest news. I have built a bridge for you to reach me. It was the bridge that was knocked down by your wrongs. All my children have done it. You are not the only one. Just look around you. All the shame, lust, pride and hate. Those things are what broke the bridge. And the price for walking on a broken bridge is death. You simply fall. But I rebuilt that bridge using a cross. I have paid the price for it all. I took your place, took the fall and endured the suffering. All in the name of love for you. Yes, you. I died, yes. But I did not stay dead. As I rose to life again, I proved my power. And above anything else, you can trust me more than nature, governments, armies, and even yourself. Now my forgiveness, my love, and endless grace have paved the way to me and my kingdom. You can't build that bridge to me. That would only be religion. That can only build fake, man-made bridges. They look good for a while, but cannot bear the weight. So cross my bridge, the bridge of adoption into my family. I have forgiven you, but you have to accept it. I have paid the price, but you have to cash the check. Invited you, but you have to accept the invitation. And there are so many things I would like to say to you. You do not have to RSVP by a given time. Every sunrise presents a new opportunity for you. Yet I urge you not to waste your years without me. I love you, and I will be right here waiting for your reply. With love, your heavenly father. Amen. I want to ask you a question, church. And I, I want to ask you a question that maybe, maybe no one has asked you in a while. And it's this. How are you and God? How's it going with your relationship with God? Now, I'm not asking how much you love Him. Because I'm sure in a room like this, with a lot of us being Christians, we'd be like, yeah, I love God. I put my hand, I, I love Him. 
And I'm not asking if you believe in him because again, in a room like this, I'm sure there'll be a quick yes. I'm asking is, how are you and God doing? How's it going in the relationship? You know, the talking, listening, hanging out, spending time, enjoying community, communion. Like how is the, how is the closeness? How's the closeness going between you and God? Are you satisfied right now in your relationship with him? Or is there room for growth? Is there room for more? Is there room for a deepening? Because we're starting a new series today with one goal in mind, to help you get closer to God. Because I believe there is always room to go just a little bit deeper and just a little bit more. There's always another layer. There's always another level. How many of you know God is a God of more than abundance, right? He's infinitely deep, right? So there's just always more to discover and more to experience. And so I want to invite you to come on a journey with us as we get closer to God. Look at someone and say, get ready to get closer. We're going to be basing a lot of this series on a book by John Bevere called Drawing Near. If it's a book you haven't read, I want to invite you to read it with us. Drawing Near by John Bevere. Some incredible thoughts in there. As it focuses on this one relationship, which happens to be, by the way, the most important relationship in your life. And it's a relationship you have with God. There is no relationship that matters more. In fact, at the end of your life, it's kind of all we care about. Like... As you leave this earth, our main concern is, ooh, how was it with them and God? Right, and as someone who has to officiate that ceremony at the end of your life possibly, I'll say that when a family is sure, oh man, the peace that comes with that. But when they're not sure, it's a burden. How are you doing with God? You know, as your pastor, I wanna say that my prayer for this series is that you are going to draw much closer into intimate relationship with Him because I want to tell you, church, this church, New Life Church, has a mandate. We've been given a mandate by God, and that's to reach the lost in the city and then to disciple them, to help them walk closer and closer with God. And you better believe we're going to do that with passion and excellence. We're going to work on that. But our desire, my desire and prayer for you is that year on year on year, your relationship with God gets deeper and closer and more and more intimate. Because here's the beautiful news. God wants to be close with you. God desires closeness. God desires intimacy. He wants to be close to you. For those of you who haven't yet highlighted and underlined James 4 verse 8 in your Bibles, today will be the day where you are invited to do it. In James 4 verse 8, we're told these words. It says, draw close to God and He will come close to you. Draw close to God. And I want you to think about this. Isn't this a beautiful promise that the God of creation, the God who created everything we see right now and all the things we don't see and everything we know right now and all the things we don't know, the King of Kings, the literal King of Kings, the, the Alpha and the Omega invites you to closeness. He wants closeness with you. He wants intimacy with you. Are you ready to go that deep with Him? 
to go close with him. And I know you can look at a guy like me on stage and you're like, oh, what does that guy know? He's got it easy. His relation with God's easy. I mean, come on, he's got special favor with God, doesn't he? Like, isn't he called out? Like, is it, doesn't he have a special connection? And people have literally told me this, like, to my face, guys. They're like, no, not that guy. I mean, he just wakes up speaking in tongues, and then he, like, falls asleep praying, and, like, everything he reads in the Bible, he fully understands, and he's praying consistently and worshiping all the time, and he doesn't like McDonald's. He likes communion. So it's just like... You know, so you're just like, look at a guy like me, and you're like, that guy's got it easy. And you're like, but not me. And my relation with God's not easy. It's hard, and it takes work, and I have doubts and confusion, and I don't understand all the things I read. And, and I want to tell you, if you believe that about me, that is the furthest thing from the truth, because God is not a respecter of persons, and He does not play favorites. And my relationship with God is very much like yours. And I'll say, guys, let's be real. There have been times in my life where my relationship with God has been under strain. There's times in my life where God has just felt far away. I can just liken it to a desert season, right? There's been times where it's just like everything has felt hard. Like this relationship with Him is just work. Like, and everything feels like work. And like reading the Bible just feels like work. And praying just feels like work. And, and like, I don't hear God's voice clearly. And, and there's, there's times where this relationship with God has felt heavy and lifeless. And where these things in my life kind of bleed into my relationship with God. And, and it's hard to push those things away where sometimes the stress or anxiety or depression or worries or temptations or my past or my and just all the stuff as, as someone who for many years struggled with suicidal thoughts and that stuff man that affected my relationship with God like you won't believe and I know you can look at me and say if God's got it easy it's not true I'm in a relationship with God just like you but I, I want to be close man I want to be close to him I hope you want to be close to him too because a relationship that God has promised you, the way the Bible describes it, it's that of a marriage. Woo. It's just this idea of a marriage where God calls us his bride. He doesn't want the relationship that you have like you have with your work colleague. Hi, bye, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. Good day, good day. He doesn't want a relationship with you like you have with your mate at school or like you have with your friend or all your social connections, right? Yeah, I like the God page. We're good. No, he, what he wants with you is marriage. Amen. Marriage. Deep, intimate marriage where he becomes a jealous husband for you, where he looks at you paying attention to all the other things in the world and says, hey, look at me. Spend time with me. I want you. I'm jealous of you. And I know, guys, in our own self-identity and our own lack of self-worth, we find it hard to believe that this God of creation could want my attention, but he does. He made you to pay attention to him. He made you to worship him. He wants your affection. He's a jealous husband. Just look at these words that he, he, he shares with us in Exodus 34 says, you must worship no other gods, for the Lord whose very name is jealous is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. Exodus 34, 14. 
God is jealous about his relationship with you. And by the way, he's the only one who has the right to be jealous, right? He's got a right to be jealous. He, he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our attention. He made us for these things. He's worthy of all these things. And so how's your marriage going? How's your marriage with God? You know, this year, my wife and I have been married 16 years. You better clap and cheer. That's... But I'd laugh, I'd say, well, hey, that was all easy. It wasn't. Look, there were seasons that were beautiful. Man, oh, I love those seasons. The summer, the springtime of marriage. Oh, just like, you know, communication's flowing and love is flowing. It's lovey-dovey and affection. And, and it's just like, you're not misunderstood and you're getting each other and you're on the same page and you're kind to each other. And it's just like, oh, I mean, in those seasons, it's like you're building trust and love and family. It's out of those seasons that we've, you know, had seven kids, right? And no, hang on. Four were adopted, so I wasn't totally talking about what you think. But I was also talking about what you think. Those seasons of marriage are beautiful, but we've been through seasons that are tough. We've been through seasons in our 16 years where we felt distant and we were distracted and we were putting effort into everything else but the marriage and paying attention to everything else but each other. And in those seasons, man, communication's hard and you're missing each other and conflict is high and misunderstanding is high and the level of affection and intimacy and love is super low. And those times of marriage, man, they, they are strained. And I'll say in those seasons of my wife's and our marriage, the only reason we stayed together was because we promised we would. Like the only reason we stayed together is because we were committed to being together. And I kind of worry about some of you in your marriage with God, that some of you are there. That your relationship with God is so strained and you're like, well, I'm, I did put up my hand that day and say I'd be a Christian, follow Jesus. So, you know, I'm in, I committed. But do you enjoy God? Like, just do you enjoy Him? Like, do you enjoy His company? I mean, yeah, I know you enjoy a lot of other things in life. And yeah, you know, you like those people and, and you like doing those things. And, you know, you enjoy that hobby and that interest. And yeah, I know there's all these things in life, but like, God, like, do you just enjoy him? And yeah, maybe you enjoy doing things for him. Like you don't mind ministry. You like church and, you, you know, some Christians you've, you like. Not all of them, but some. But, but what about just God? Like, how's your marriage with him? Are you in it? Are you in a strained time of marriage where you kind of just in it because you promised you would be? Because in those seasons of marriage, guys, intimacy is so low. And love and kindness and hanging out, it just doesn't happen. Maybe you're not in it just because you said yes. Maybe you married God for his money. I mean, come on, he comes with a lot of blessings, right? 
And perhaps when you were sold this Christian thing, those blessings were put up front. And you're like, whoa, that sounds great. You mean I get Jesus plus salvation and redemption? And my past is gone and I'm a new creation and I have a new identity and I have peace and I have purpose and I get eternity. I have a mansion in heaven for free. Are you kidding me? Sign me up for that deal. Like maybe you just married God for his money. How many of you, by the way, are brave enough to admit that when you married your spouse, it was just for their money? Just, yeah. My wife married a pastor, so I've never had to worry about that. Like, <laughs> but I, I, I wonder sometimes, like, if that is happening to our relationship with God, if we're just in it because we're committed to be in it, or if we're just in it because we're in it for the blessings, can I tell you, you'll always struggle with intimacy. Marriage does not thrive under those terms. And if you and I are going to draw closer to God, if we're going to go deeper, we have to figure out why did we get into this in the first place? And why are we staying in it? When it gets hard, when God feels far away, like why are we staying? Because my heart is that you would grow deeper, but it means we have to question why are we doing this? Why are we doing what we're doing? Because your motives will affect how intimate you are. And this is probably not seen any clearer than in the Old Testament with the Israelites. In fact, I want to just kind of give you a visual reference today. So I need two volunteers. Can I see some hands? Can I get two volunteers? Not going to make you do anything too crazy. Do I have volunteers? Come, come, come. Otherwise, I'm going to voluntold you. Come, Wiz. You're being voluntold today. Ah, Dolph, thank you. Come, Dolph. Let's give these guys a hand. Okay, well, Wes, can you stand for me in front of the speaker and Dolph in front of this one? You know, in the Old Testament, we see people having experience with God and they come out the other end of that experience very, very different. And so for now, I would like Dolph to stand in for Moses. Can you all say, hi, Moses? Hi, Moses. <laughs> kind of fits part, right? Like, not a bad choice. <clears throat> Just needs a beard. Ah, a beard. Okay, but, but I want Wesley to stand in for the nation of Israel. Can you all say, hello, Israel? Hello, Israel. Ever thought you'd be a whole nation, right? You know, it's interesting in the Bible how Moses and the Israelites have this experience in the desert. And let me start with the Israelites. First of all, in Egypt, they had it pretty bad. I don't think you can get it worse. They were in slavery, and not for like a year or two, for over 400 years. So I mean, in this time, they had no property, they had no inheritance, right? They had no future or hope, they had nothing to give their kids. Their backs are scarred by the whips of their oppressors. They're struggling for food and for drink. Their children are slaughtered at a moment's notice. They have no freedom. The, the position of these Israelites in slavery is pretty grim. I don't think it gets worse. Can we agree? And so God sets them free from this Evil oppression. He sets them free from slavery. And yet, guys, when the Israelites are in the desert, every time it gets hard, guess what they long for? Slavery. I mean, just look at, this is just one of many places in the Bible where we see this happening. We see in Numbers 13, verse 3 and 4, 
They said, wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted amongst themselves. Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Are you kidding me? Like, you want to go back where? You want to go back to slavery, back to we had no freedom. Every time it got hard, this was their go-to. Let's just go back. Let's, let's go back to slavery. Then you have Moses on the other side. And his experience with God is totally different. For, for starters, he is the only one in Israel who didn't have it bad in, in Egypt. Let's be honest. This guy grew up in the palace. His father was the wealthiest man in the world. He ate the best and was taught by the best and drank the best and slept in the best. And he wore the best, as you can see. <laughs> this guy had servants at his beck and call. He grew up in luxury, in wealth, in pleasure, with everything he needed given to him. And yet he willingly walks away from all of that. And when he's in the desert, every time it goes hard, he never longs for what he had. How is it that people who had it so bad in the hard times longed for what they had? And someone who had it so good in the hard times wanted to stay where he was. Church, you know the difference? Moses had an encounter with God. That's it. He had an experience with God. This nation of Israel knew about God. They had heard about him from generation to generation. These stories were told. Those parents were on point when it comes to discipleship and training their children up according to scripture. They knew all the stories. They knew about this God and they believed in him with all their heart, but they did not have the encounter. And because they had not encountered God, slavery still looked better. Can we give Moses and the Israelites a hand? Thank you. In fact, I want to remind you of the motive of why Moses actually even wanted to lead the Israelites out of slavery. And you might think, well, he wanted to lead them to the promised land. Like that was the goal. But you'd be incorrect. Moses' motive for leading them out of Egypt was not to lead them to the promised land. No, that wasn't the initial goal. In fact, we hear God giving these instructions for Moses to tell Pharaoh these words. It says in Exodus 7 verse 16, Then announce to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to tell you, Let my people go so that they can worship me in the wilderness. Do you see what God was doing here? He was inviting the Israelites to have the same experience Moses had had. Moses was wanting to lead this nation of Israel out into the wilderness. And he was leading them to the exact same place, to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. He was literally leading them to say, come and experience what I have experienced. Come and see this God that I have experienced. Moses had experienced a supernatural thing in this desert. He had seen and experienced the power of God. But I want to say that this experience Moses had with this burning bush was not forced on Moses. Moses responded to an invitation. In fact, let me show you how this whole thing played out. 
In Exodus 3, verse 1 to 4, it says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. Look at someone and say, he must go and see it. When the Lord saw, churches are so important. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, then God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, I must go and see it. God presented an invitation and Moses responded with, I must go and see it. In the original Hebrew, this phrase, I must go see it, is this word, sursur, and it means to deliberately turn from where you're going and go towards something else. You know, Moses was probably a busy guy. I mean, this is happening at a time he's tending flocks. There's a lot to do. And yet he notices the activity of God and he decides, sursur, I must go and see it. I must turn in that direction. I must turn towards the activity of God and I must go and take a look. And the moment he heads in God's direction, then God speaks. It's only, and I believe, if Moses had not gone to see it, if he had not turned in that direction, God would not have spoken to him that day. And yes, God could have done something more bold and more dramatic, right? I mean, he could have had this loudspeaker from heaven, Moses! Where Moses had no choice but to listen. He could have sent a million angels to fill the sky and say, Moses, right? I mean, he could have written Moses' name and lightning in the heavens, but instead, he lights a bush on fire. And he sees if Moses will turn towards an invitation. And as he takes a step towards God, God draws close to him and speaks to him. And it seems, church, like this is God's preferred way of doing business. We see this even represented in the Gospels. Remember when Jesus feeds the 5,000 with those five loaves and those two fish. After that miracle, he sent the disciples off to the other side of the lake. He says he's going to go up to the mountain to pray. Sometime during the morning, the disciples, they're on the water and they're in trouble. And Jesus is heading over to the other side of the water as he does. He's walking on the water. And this is what happened. It's interesting to see in Mark 6 verse 48. So about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. It says he intended to go past them. Jesus intended to walk past him. But when he saw, when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Do not be afraid. He said, take courage. I am here. I want you to see that God's intention walking on the water was to walk past the disciples until what? Until they cried out to him. I believe if they did not cry out to him, he would have continued to walk past them. Church, this is how God works. He makes a move towards us and then he waits to see if we will respond to him. And if we draw close to him, he draws close to us. But the ball is in your court. Seek 
and you will find. Ask, and you will receive. Knock, and the door will be opened. You draw close to God. He'll draw close to you. There is an invitation here. He is not a God who is going to force himself on you. If you want closeness, make the move. If you want intimacy with God, make the move. He's inviting you in. And you might look at this whole thing play out with Moses and the Israelites and think, well, that's not really fair because the Israelites didn't get the burning bush experience. They didn't get to encounter God. The only reason they didn't encounter God is because they rejected the invitation. In Exodus 19 and 20, we see God inviting them to experience him. In Exodus 19 verse 9, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses. Why? So that the people themselves can hear me when I speak to you. And then they will always trust you. God is saying, I want to invite them in. I want to show them my power. I want them to hear my voice for themselves. But what happens in Exodus 20 is not that. It says from verse 18, When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, Moses, You speak to us and we'll listen. But don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them. For God has come to you in this way to test you and so that you will fear him and it will keep you from sinning. As the people stood at a distance, Moses approached a cloud where God was. And instead of the Israelites having an experience with God, they watched Moses have one. They said no to the invitation. Because of that, they didn't have this encounter with God. And so every time it got hard, they just wanted slavery again. They wanted what they knew. They wanted out. They weren't in this for the right reason. They missed their opportunity to encounter a living God. They believed in God. They loved him and followed him, but they stood at a distance and watched other people have an encounter with him. And I fear that sometimes that's happening to Christians today who believe in God, who love him and know about him, but man, they're scared for that encounter. They're scared to jump all in They're scared to spend their time in prayer or their time in worship or their time in his presence because what will God do? What if he does something weird? What if I lose control? What if he makes me a missionary in Ethiopia and I have to sell my house? And the same motivation that kept the Israelites out of God's presence keeps us out today. It's fear. But if you don't draw close to God, He won't draw close to you. And he's inviting you, church, to go all in. All in. All in. All in. Where he becomes your first love.
but it's an invitation and he's not forcing it. You know, I remember a few years back, I was really praying about something in my life that I desperately wanted. And, and it was a good thing, it wasn't a bad thing, but looking back now, I realized it became my main topic of conversation with God. Like I started to bring this up to him again and again and again and again. And, you know, I was standing behind the banner, this is persistent prayer. You know, like I'm making intercession, and, and which is good, but, but it's like it's all I was doing is God, when and God, how and God, I need it and God, please and God, please and God, please and God, I need it and God, now. And I remember there's one day, like months later, I mean, I was like praying about this for months and and I was driving in the car and, and now I'm like talking out loud to God and I often do that while I drive because people are just going to think I'm on Bluetooth, right? So I'm just like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in the car and I'm talking to God and I, I'm literally saying, God, like, when is this going to happen, Lord? Like, when's the breakthrough going to come? Like, how much longer must I wait? Like, God, please, please can this happen? And I remember God just silencing me in a moment and it felt like lightning hit my soul and God said, when lost when last did you, you ask for my presence like that? When last did you desire me as much as that? Church, that was like the God of the universe giving you a hiding, man. It's, it's, that cut so deep and I realized I had made an idol because I was wanting something else more than God, I was wanting a gift from him more than I was wanting him. And this thing wasn't a bad thing, but I had made it bad by making it an idol. And let me just tell you clearly, God is not in the business of giving you idols. He will not do it, church. And I look at the Israelites and I think they fell in love with this promised land more than they fell in love with God because they had never encountered him. I mean, you look at how they moan, you look at this rebellion, how they come against Moses. I mean, I mean, in Numbers 16, 14, it says, what's more Moses, you, you, you haven't brought us into another land flowing with milk and honey. No, you, you haven't given us a new homeland with, with fields and vineyards. It's like, like where's my stuff? Moses, where's the, where's the blessings? Where, where's the promises? And, and their whole relationship with God was no longer about the who, it was about the what. Yes. And well, one of the warning signs, by the way, in your life is when, when God withholding something makes you angry at Him. Massive red flag, church. When your love for something else can affect your love for God, well, then you love that something else more than God. And so these Israelites are so worried about the what and the blessings and everything they've been promised. And this is what you said to Abraham. And where's our promised land that they missed the real gift, which was God himself. God is the gift. God is a gift and all these other things, they're great. And yes, there are blessings and yes, there are promises and yes, there are provisions and yes, there are miracles. I mean, wasn't last weekend incredible hearing all those miracles? Can we praise God again? If you haven't watched it, go watch it. It's incredible miracles. But that is not what our faith is about. 
The promised land was not the goal, it was the bonus. And if you make the promised land your goal, you cannot have intimacy with God. Why? Because now you're looking for intimacy with a gift. But if you and I are going to draw closer to God, we need to not draw closer to His gifts, but draw closer to Him. Where we realize He is the treasure, that He is enough, that He is beautiful, and He is wonderful, and He is majestic, and He is worthy, and He is lovely, and He is beautiful, and we just need Him. Jesus at the center of it all. I think maybe that's where we've kind of gone wrong, right? Like for years in the churches and preachers all over the world. And I think we've just put so much emphasis on what Jesus can do for you. That we've missed Jesus. Uh, And yet Jesus himself is more lovely than any gift he gives. Can I tell you that? Jesus, just Jesus himself is more lovely and more beautiful and more worthy than anything he can ever do for you. And if you want intimacy, then he must be your goal then he must be your focus. And the gifts, they might come, they might not, but we're not in it for the what, we're in it for the who. And so my last question to you is this, what are you in it for? Because if you're just in this because you said yes one day and now you're going through the motions, or if you married God for his money, then intimacy is going to be very hard to come by. But if we are going to draw closer to him, here's what I want you to do. Make the first move. Take a step. Say, God, I'm coming closer. Because I know that as I do, you'll come closer. And I'm not moving closer to your gifts. I'm moving closer to you, just you. But can I ask you to close your eyes for a moment? I want to ask you this question today. What are the steps you can take this very week that will help you move closer to God? Knowing that as you do, He will do the same. Holy Spirit, would you come and guide us? Would you lead us? Would you draw us into intimacy? We don't want to be in a loveless marriage, a marriage of convenience, a marriage of commitment. We want to be in an intimate marriage. Draw us closer, God. Holy Spirit, would you reveal in our hearts where our motives have been so wrong, where we've been chasing your gifts instead of you, God, you are enough. I want to invite you to pray that prayer wherever you are right now, just in your own words say, God, you are enough. God, you are all we need. You are beautiful beyond description. You are holy. You are majesty. You are the one we want, God. We don't want to fall in love with the things of this world. We want to love you. We want to love well. 
God, you are enough. Holy Spirit, would you come and fix our motives? May we be like clay in your hands. May you draw us into intimacy with you. God, I want to pray for everyone under the sound of my voice who's in a desert season, who feels like you're far away and they're desperate for more, God. They desperately hear your voice. God, they want to feel your presence. They want a real experience. Thank you, God, that you have invited us to experience you. It is the greatest invitation in the world, and we say yes, and we will step towards you. We say yes. So God, in this time, increase our love for you. Increase our adoration. Increase our prayer life. Increase our hunger for your word. Give us new and fresh revelation, God, of who you are. Take us to deeper things, we pray. With every eye closed, I want to speak to a group of you today who I believe you've come to church and you've been listening, but you realize you've never accepted the invitation. You've never decided to become a Christian. You've never given your heart to the Lord. And today you want to accept that invitation. You want to give your heart to Jesus. You want to become a part of the family. And if that's you, the good news is you can. You're just one prayer away. And I want to pray that prayer with you. And so I know who I'm praying with. If you want to make that commitment today, if you want to pray that prayer, I want you to raise your hand and put it down wherever you are. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands going up all over this place. Beautiful. 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 Thank you. Thank you. There are many brothers and sisters joining this family today. Praise God. We're going to pray this prayer now, and I want to ask you to repeat it after me. And so that those who are praying and don't feel alone, can I ask us all to pray this prayer together? Let's pray these words. Dear God, thank you for finding me. Thank you for loving me. Today I give my life to you. Jesus Christ, I declare you are Lord of all. I believe you are the Son of God who lived and died and rose again. And so today I give my life to you. And I'm so sorry for everything I've done apart from you. Please forgive me, Lord. I receive that forgiveness right now. I receive your grace. And I'm excited about starting a relationship with you. From today and into eternity, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Can we give those guys a hand? So good. Woo! Love it. Now, as you've already heard, this is a lifelong relationship, right? And so we want to help you in it. You are now brothers and sisters of mine. I am your brother, whether you like it or not. That's how family works. And so we do want to journey with you. You're not alone in this. And so if you pray that prayer for the first time, on your way out these doors, there's going to be ushers standing by the doors with flyers. Please take one, they're free. And they just give you a few ideas of what to do next, what to do now that you've prayed that prayer. There's also a tear-off slip on that flyer. Please, if you take a flyer, we ask you to fill in your name and uh, your details and leave that flyer at our information desk, the tear-off slip.
because we do want to journey with you. We're in this together. Thank you for being here. Before you leave, I want to ask before everyone goes, if we can just hand over to Luzon to come and close. Thank you. Let's give God a hand for what he just did. Yeah.